Less than 12 feet. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, I'm, I'm sure most of you are very familiar with the story that we're about to read. Uh, but the thing about it is, um, we're gonna, I'm going to preach the whole chapter, which is the whole 1 Samuel 17. But I don't want to make you read the whole 58 verses. So we're just going to read from verse 31 to verse 44 together, okay? But the sermon will be based on the whole chapter, whole 1 Samuel 17. Um, quack, don't forget the time. 1 Samuel 17, okay? We're going to read together in count of three. One, two, three. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hands of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with this, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistines moved forward, came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful, 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 beautiful passage that we just read. And Lord, I just pray that even though most of us know, already know this story, I pray that you speak to us in such a fresh way tonight. That when we leave this place, we understand what this story is all about and that we can apply it rightly in our life. So help us, Lord, to be able to understand your word because you are the only one, Holy Spirit, who can translate these mere human words that I'm about to speak and make it a revelation that comes from you. So I pray that you do that as we understand, learn together about your word. I pray that it come alive inside of us and it give us a new hope in life. Thank you, Lord. And we ask this in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. So I have two goals for tonight, all right? Um, one of my goals, which is what I do every time I preach, is I want to preach to you the Word of God, which is a normal thing, common thing. So I want to preach you First Samuel chapter 17, and I hope that you will see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ through the passage that we just read. But I have a second goal in mind, and my second goal is this. 
I want to teach you how to read, interpret, and apply the Bible. Okay, so that's my second goal. So I'm not going to only teach you what the Bible says, but at the same time, I want to teach you how to read, interpret, and apply the Bible. Okay, because it's, it's not as easy as you think. Okay, um, most of you know the story of David and Goliath, all right? I think all of you know. Anyone that this is your first time hearing the story of David and Goliath, anyone? Not a single person, right? Everybody knows the story of David and Goliath. So that's why when I look at this passage, I'm like, oh, I actually can use this passage to teach the people of God on how to read, uh, understand, and apply the Bible. Because, you know, everybody knows this story. But I will argue with you that most of the time, we misunderstood the story. Here's what I'm trying to say. Do you know that even non-Christians know the story of David and Goliath? Even non-Christians use the story of David and Goliath. They wrote books on David and Goliath. Now, here's my, my, my thing. If a non-Christian can read a story in the Bible and come to the same conclusion as the way you read the story in the Bible, then something is off, right? So if a non-Christian can look at the story and like, we come to the same conclusion, then something is off. Either they are Christian, but they do not know they're Christian, or we read it in a non-Christian way. Now, so when we look at the story of David and Goliath, let me tell you what the story is about most of the time. People assume this is the story. It's about the, the underdogs, right? There is hope for the underdogs. That The fact is this. Even though the odds against you, if you just have courage, if you just believe in yourself, if you just put some faith, if you just trust in yourself, you can overcome the odds. You with me? Right? Or the, the other version is like, all you need to do to beat the odds is you need to trust yourself. Believe in yourself. You can beat the giant in your life. Okay? That's usually how the story goes. Oh, we try to Christianize it by saying this. If you put your faith in God, if you trust God, if you believe in God, then you also can beat your giants. You've been anointed by God to beat your giants. Okay? And some of you are like, what is wrong with that? Okay? Because that's the way we grew up with the story, right? Correct? That's how we understood the story. Let me tell you. I'm not proud of this, but one of my first sermons, um, when I, were, I think I was 20 at the time or 19, I forgot. One of my very first sermons was on David and Goliath. Okay? So I took this passage, and this is my message. I don't remember the detail of my message, but I remember a little bit. Praise God, I don't have the copy. But I still have, remember, back memory. This is what I say. You want to beat Goliath, guys? Let me tell you how. You need to have godly ambition. Okay? If you have godly ambition, then you can defeat your Goliath. Look what happened with David. You know what happened with David? In order for David to beat Goliath, David looked to the promise that Saul gave. What? Riches, wife, and tax-free for the rest of his life. So this is what David said. Oh, la, 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 la. I want some of that. So I'm going to go for it. And because of that, David found courage to fight Goliath. Okay, some of you are like, that is ridiculous. I know. <laughs> really bad. It's a really, really bad sermon. But that's the kind of sermon that I preached in the past. So I don't want you guys to repeat the same mistake. So I want to teach you guys how to actually read, apply this passage in a right way. Now, but let me be very, very, very sensitive to all of us. Let me be very sensitive. Because I know in a room this size right now, there are many of us who face challenges in life, all right? Some of us, you face the challenges of uncertainties. You do not know what the future holds for you. You do not know what your next step will be. You have no idea. You're clueless. And for some of us, you face the giants of unfulfilled desire. 
you've been praying to God, God, I want children. God, I want husband. God, I want wife. God, I want job. Or maybe not that. God, I just want a boyfriend or girlfriend. I've been single for 10 years and so long. It's been too long. Some of you have unfulfilled desire and you, may, you have that giant in front of your life. Or maybe some of you, you, you face the giants of fear, anxiety. You just, you just feel overwhelmed with life. And I want to be very sensitive about this. You know, we have giant in life. How many of you say you have giant right now in your life? Challenges, trials that you face and you don't, it's just too much for me. Let me tell you, the story of David and Goliath is not written to inspire you to overcome your giants. Some of you are like, what? That's not the way I grew up. I know, but let me tell you, there's a fund- more fundamental meaning. There's a lot deeper meaning in the story of David and Goliath. And until you can see the fundamental meaning of this passage, you and I will not be able to overcome your giant. But here's my promise. If you can see what this passage is all about, then you and I can hope, have hope to face your giant. Okay? This is what I'm trying to say. A lot of time when we read the Old Testament story, especially Old Testament narrative, this is what we do. We equate ourselves to the hero of the story, right? So it's like this. So David equals us. So we, we have this assumption. When we read the story, who are we? We are David. So who is Goliath? Our challenges in life, our, our struggles in life. And, and that's the way we read it. But tonight, I want to give you another lens on how to interpret the story. Okay? It's called the Jesus lens. So basically, what I want to ask to be able to do is this. Rather than looking at David and straight away put ourselves in the story, I want us to put this. Put Jesus in between David and us. And if we're able to do that, then you and I can have hope that what happened to David can also happen to us. You with me? Because my conviction is this, the hero of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is not you. It's not David, it's not Moses. The hero of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is one person, and his name is Jesus. So, so that's, what, that's my goal, okay? I want us to be able to have that lens and help you to overcome the giant shell. You with me? Okay, let's jump to the story, okay? Before we get to 1 Samuel chapter 17... I want to talk about 1 Samuel chapter 16 first, okay? This is important context. So what happened in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16? This is what happened. So God was upset with King Saul because Saul was the first king of Israel, but then after a while, Saul became proud, and God said, you know what? I do not want him anymore to be king. And God said to Sammy, Samuel, Samuel, I want you to go to the house of Jesse and anoint a new king for me, Okay? So Samuel went to the house of JC and knocked at his house. Hey, Jess, how are you? Good, awesome. God tell me, God told me to tell you that one of your sons will be king. And then JC, oh, I know exactly who you're talking about. I know which son. I mean, you don't have to think. I know which son. And then JC called the firstborn son by the name of what? Eliab. So Eliab showed up. And Eliab is very, you know, manly. He's big, he's handsome. He's strong. So when Eliab show up, Samuel go, oh my, this is it. This is the king that God has chosen for Israel. This is it. Awesome. He must be. He has what it takes to be king. He looks like a king. And then suddenly God said, Sammy, no, not him. Do not look at the outward appearance because I do not look at, look at our appearance, but I look at the what? The heart. So God said, no, 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 no. I do not want him. So Samuel said to Jesse, sorry, Jess, not him. And Jesse's like, what? Not him? So Jesse makes, how many sons? Seven of his sons. 
walk in front of Samuel. And Samuel said, no, 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 not a single one of them. I chose them by God to be the next king. And finally, Samuel said to Jesse, Jesse, you know, I don't want to be rude, but is it possible that you might have forgotten one of your sons? And Jesse said, oh, yes, actually, there's one. Yeah, there's the youngest one, okay? But, you know, Samuel, he does not look like a king at all. He does not have what it takes to be king. And, and Samuel said, well, you never know. The way God chose, the way God looked at people is different from the way we look at people. So Samuel, I mean, Jesse called his younger son. His younger son showed up. And then God said, this is it, Samuel. This is the one. I want you to anoint him to be the next king of Israel. And the name of the young boy was David Quark. Okay? Maybe. Maybe if David has a middle name, maybe David's name is Quark. David Quark. So for tonight, I'm going to refer to him as David Quark. So... David Quark was chosen to be the next king of Israel. If you do not know, Quark, uh, baptism name is David. Now it makes sense. Okay, so David Quark was chosen to be the next king of Israel. Okay, so now let's jump to 1 Samuel chapter 17. You with me so far? Now let's get into the story. Okay, this is very crucial. 1 Samuel chapter 17 is possibly one of the longest narrative in the whole Bible. It is very long. It's 58 verses long just to tell one story, okay? So it's very long. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason why the author gave us so much detail explaining what happened in the story, okay? We will talk about it. Why there's so much detail in the story. So this is what happened. A war broke out between two nations, Israel and Philistine. Now, if you do not know, Philistine is actually one of Israel's biggest nemesis from the beginning. So when Israel entered the promised land, God said one of the nations that Israel had to destroy is Philistine. But Israel did not destroy them. And because of it, because of Israel's disobedience, Philistine ended up becoming one of Israel's greatest enemies. And not only that, we find from the story that the Philistine is in fact technologically more advanced than the Israelites. They are one of the first nations to work with metals. That's why if you read the story, there's a lot of explanation on the kind of uh, weapon they use, the kind of uh, armor they use. Why? Because they're one of the first nations to work with metals. Now, Israel was very far behind in comparison to the Philistines. It's like comparing America and Indonesia right now. If they have war together, like, no chance whatsoever. Right? It's like that. So now there's this uh, war between two nations. So in one side, on one side, Israel and her soldier in one side of the mountain. And on the other side of the mountain is the Philistine with her soldiers. And then there's a valley between them. You with me? Now, here's what's cool though. So the two nations are about to fight. But before they fight, a man shows up from the Philistine army. His name is Goliath. And the Goliath is no ordinary soldiers. If you read the description, Goliath is at least, at least two and a half meters tall. For some of you, he's almost double your height. Two and a half meters tall, okay? So pretty much the dude can dunk without even jumping. Boom, right there. Right? He's so big. And he's not just big, tall. According to the narrative, Goliath is also very strong. How do we know? His armor, just his armor, it weighed 57 kilograms. Can you think about it? 56, 7 kilogram armors. And his spears, just the edge of his spears is at least 9 kilograms. So can you, can you imagine that? So this two and a half meters tall guy wearing big, this big armor and this big spear. What is the point of that image? 
the point of all this detail is the order trying to convey to us, give us a picture of an invisible enemy, a strong, powerful enemy. And then Goliath is called the champion of the Philistine. The word champion means the man who stands between two armies. So this is what happened. In those days, when they fight, what happened is they would send their champion to fight the champion of the other nation. And the, war, the, battle, the battle go like this. Rather than having the two nations fight and see the winner, they just go, why don't we send a champion? And this champion will fight on our behalf. So if, go, if the champion of Philistine win, then Israel lost the war. But if the champion of Israel won, Philistine lost the war. You with me? So rather than, you know, having 10,000 people fight, just have one person as the representative of each nation. So now Goliath showed up, okay? This huge man, he showed up. And he's like, come on, fight me. Who dare to fight me? I will kill you. I will trash you. And all the trash talk happening. And, and now, here's what happened. Not a single person in the camp of Israel raised their hand and said, I want to be Israel's champion. Not a single person. In fact, the Bible said that everyone in Israel camp were fearful. Were they afraid? Like, no, 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 no. Not that guy. We cannot fight that guy. To the point that finally King Saul said, you know what? If anyone dare to fight Goliath and kill Goliath, I'm going to give that person three things. First, great riches. Second, my daughter. And third, tax-free for the rest of your life. And yet, not a single person say, take me. Why? Because they will think like, What's the use of great riches, being king's son-in-law, and free tax if you're dead? You know what I mean? There's no point. Like, no one raised their hand. No one went, I go, fine, fine, fine. So no one were there to fight Goliath, and that's what happened. Okay? Now, every time I look at this story, I think of this story, I remember Jakub. Okay? Who's Jakub? Let me tell you who's Jakub. Jakub was my Goliath in elementary school. Okay? So, um, if you do not know, um, when I was in elementary school, I do not look as strong, as awesome as I am today. Uh, when I was in elementary school, um, the picture that you can have of me is me wearing red bow tie with straight finger. So, if, you, if, if that picture pops out in your head, yeah, that's me okay, in my elementary school. So, uh, but Jakub, who's Jakub? Jakub was my classmate who was at least twice or three times bigger than me. I ain't lying. He's so big. He's so fat. And he loved to bully me. Okay, he, he just loved to bully me. So what happened is this. One day, he bullied me in, the front, in front of the girl that I like, that I crush on. And me, being a guy, I'm like, I'm not going to take this. So what I did, I, I mustered up courage on myself. So I pushed Jakub. Okay, he's so big, right? I pushed him. And I ran a few steps backward. And I ran toward him. And I did a karate kid jump kick. You know, you, know, you, know, you, know, you know, the pictures, right? The karate kid jump kick. Now, in my mind, in my mind, what will happen is this. I will give him my f- beautiful kick, and then he will fall over and finally realize I shouldn't mess with this guy. Okay, that's what was in my mind. In reality, when I do that, so I run toward him, rah, and I jump, and I give him this jump kick. And what happened is, rather than him fell over, I bounced back from him, and I fell over. Okay, he was that big. And ever since that day, ever since I, every time I saw Jakub, I ran away. Okay? And I think that's what the Israel must have felt when they saw Goliath. There's no way. He's too big. He's too massive. Now the scene changes to David. Okay, let's leave Goliath 
and the army and moved to David. So what happened, David was probably shepherding his sheep while writing Psalm 23, perfecting the song. Mm, this tone is not good. Okay, he's playing guitar. And then his dad said, David, I want you to take, take this lunchbox and bring it to your brother. So he did. So David took the lunchbox, and then he bring it to his brother. And when David gets to the camp, Israel camp, he heard this shout from the Goliath, You piece of chicken! Okay, I can't say the word, but I change it to chicken. You beep, 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 beep. Uh, basically, Goliath just throw out all this insult at the armies of God, at Israel, you coward. How come none of you dare to fight me, you bunch of poo? And all this stuff. And David heard. Like, That's people, not poop. <laughs> and David heard, and David's like, hold on a second. Huh, what happened here? Now, Pay attention to what David said, because what David said is extremely important, okay? In 1 Samuel 17, verse 26, David says this, And David said to the man who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who killed the Philistine and take away the reproach from Israel? Pay attention to this word. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should divide the armies of the living God? I love it. So now David look at Goliath. Everybody look at Goliath and they see this invisible giant that they cannot beat. But when David look at Goliath, you know what David see? Who the heck is this uncircumcised Philistine who dare to defy the armies of the living God? He's not afraid at all. No, no, no. He's like, who? Well, everyone, everybody is like, oh my gosh, is Goliath so strong? No, David's like, who the heck is this guy? How on earth does he have the boldness, the guts to mock the God of Israel. So the first reason, that the first thing that we can see from David, David is extremely passionate for the glory of God. While everyone is awestruck at the size of Goliath, David is awestruck that Goliath dare to defy the glory of God. So, okay? So now, and then when this happened, his brother showed up, okay? His brother, his first brother, Eliab, showed up. And Eliab hear what David said, and Eliab said, David, I know your evil heart. Why are you here? And David's like, chill, bro, chill. I'm just asking a question, man. Chill, chill, right? Don't be angry because I'm chosen to be king. I know, you know, don't worry. Chill. So the news travel. And then Saul hear the news that there is a man who dares to fight Goliath. Oh, and Saul's like, oh my God, yes. Finally, we have a champion. Call him in. I want to see him, okay? So finally, the young men who dares to defy Goliath were brought to Saul's camp. Now, I imagine if I were Saul, I'll expect someone who's strong. I'll expect someone who's big. You know, if Goliath was Hulk, I expect Thor to show up. You know what I mean? Like, I expect that kind of guy. Like, you know, oh, awesome, big, strong, Chris Hemsworth. But then, when David shows up, you know what, David, what, you know what Saul say? Uh-uh. You ain't fighting Goliath. No way. Why? You're too small. Like, if, if, if Goliath is Hulk, you're like, and man, no chance, bro, no chance. Forget it. You can't do it. There's no way you can do it. But then listen now. This is the key, one of the key passages in understanding this passage. Listen to what David said next, okay? So when, they, when Saul said, you cannot, fight David, you cannot fight Goliath, listen to what David says. This is beautiful. Verse 34 to verse 37. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, 
I went after him and struck him and delivered out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by beard, his beard, and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Now, do you see what happened? When David comes up to Saul, and Saul says, You can't do it, mate. You're too small. You know what David say? With all due respect, King Saul, let me tell you, I kill lion and bear with my bare hand. And let me tell you, I'm able to do that, not because I'm good, but because the Lord delivered me. And King Saul, with all due respect, this battle is not about David and Goliath. This battle is about the Lord versus Goliath. Because the, he mocks the living God. He mocks God. And the same way that God, my God, my Lord, deliver me from the hands of lion and bear. Let me tell you, King Saul, the same God will deliver me from the hand of Goliath. Oh, Goliath might be big, but King Saul, God is so much bigger. God is so much better. And he is nothing in the eyes of God. <laughs> and, and Saul finally like, all right, if that's what you want, Go for it, okay? But I have just one thing that you need to do. In order to make the odds better, I want you to use my armors. Remember that part of the story? So Saul tried to put uh, his armor on David. And what happened? It does not work, right? No, can't do this. It's too big. Uh, can't do it. Can't move. And David basically said, I'm not going to use your armors. All I'm going to do is this. I'm going to go by the river and pick how many stone? Five stone. Why five stone? Because five is the number of grace. No, I'm just kidding. Some of you are like, oh, yes, awesome. David will kill Goliath by grace. No, no, okay. That number five is there. It's there. It's just a description. I believe that's just a description. Okay? Some of you are like really convinced. Yes, by grace, I will kill Goliath. Maybe. So, so David picked up the five stones. And um, the idea is this. David refused to fight Goliath using human methods. Because Saul assumed, in order to even the odds, you need a better weaponry. You need a better armor. But David said, hold on a second. This is the Lord's battle. This is not a battle between David and Goliath. No, this is the battle between the Lord and Goliath. So I'm going to fight my battle using God's way, God's merit. I will trust in His promise, and I will see His power work as I trust in His promise. That's it. So, so David finally showed up. Boom. Okay. So, Imagine this scene with me. So now David shows up. David shows up in front of Goliath, okay, with his five stone and a sling. And you know what Goliath say? I love it. If you love sports, this is like the pregame trash talk. So Goliath like, who, you, you, and man, you, you want to fight me? I mean, they, is that not a bigger guy in Israel until you send this young, handsome, ruddy guy to fight me? Are you serious? Am I a dog that you send a stick? You fight me with stick? Oh, so, so Goliath throws this all trash talk at David. And I, and I love it. Like, you know, like a lot of censor would poop, 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 poop. And then, you know what David did? David did not remain silent. You know what David did? David replied with another trash talk. But I call it the God trash talk. 
Like, I love it. So David will not be outdone. So, okay, you want to do this trash talk pre-game fight? Okay, let me give you the God trash talk. And I love David God's trash talk. Okay, he says this, verse 45 to verse 47. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, with a spear, with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead body of the host of the Philistine this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel, that all his assembly may know that the Lord saved, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord, and he will give you into our hand. <laughs> Do you see what happened? David simply said, you know, Goliath, you see me right now? You think I'm small? You misunderstood. This battle is not about me and you. You're fighting my God. You're fighting the Lord. I come in the name of the Lord. That means what? I come as God's representative. I, am, I come to this fight as God's champion. I will fight on behalf of God. Oh, Goliath, you have no idea who you mess up with, who you mess around with. I'm going to show you. I'm going to cut off your head. I'm going to feed it to the poor, and not to the poor, to the birds. And I'm going to let the whole world know that my God is great. Now, what I love about this pre, uh, trash talk is this. David does not even have a sword, Right? David only have what? Stones and sling. How is he going to cut off his, the Goliath's head? I have no idea. But David simply said, I'm going to cut off your head and feed it to the birds. Awesome. Okay, so now imagine this scene with me. After this pregame thrush talk, finally they are face to face with one another, right? Goliath on one side, David on one side. Now, if you're like me, you start to imagine this background music, you know, soundtrack. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. And then both of them start running, Wah! and they start running towards one another. Okay, that's the way the fight goes, right? But if you, I mean, did you did you did you pay attention what happened next? The battle is extremely anticlimax. I mean, I mean, did you read the battle? How the, the battle go? I mean, after all the build up to the fight, the fight itself only lasts like a minute, huh? Like David, all David did, like, okay, let me take my stone while he run, and then he start. Spinning, and then he started aiming toward Goliath's head, and then he shoot, boom, it hit Goliath's head, Goliath fall, and then David took Goliath's sword, and then cut his arm off, boom, one. After all the build-up to the game, the fight itself only takes less than a minute. Why? Because the order wants you, us to understand that Goliath is no comparison to the living God. In front of the living God, Goliath, just like a speck of dust. No rival whatsoever. And when David finally cuts off Goliath's head, David lifts up Goliath's head. And this is what happened to the people of Israel. Those who were, hidden, who were hiding in fear before, those who were coward, this is what happened. Verse 52. And the man of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistine as far as Gad and the Gats of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistine fell on the way from Sharaim as far as Gad and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistine, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in the tent. Do you see what happened? When David won, when David beat Goliath, what happened? Israel won. Because David not only fight for Israel, David fight as Israel. 
So now when, when David finally won, suddenly this bunch of cowards who were afraid before, suddenly they have courage. They stand up on their feet. They shout and they begin to plunder the Philistine army. And David won as Israel. Okay? So here's the three things that we need to understand. Three things. First, David, David, David fight not for his own sake. David fight because he's passionate about the glory of God. And the second thing, David fight not using human method. David fight by trusting the promise and the power of God. And the third thing, when David won, Israel won. Okay, you with me? So that's the story of David and Goliath. Okay, most of you already know this story. This is not something new. Now, that's the battle. But then I want us to look at another dimension of this story. Because I believe this story is not just about David and Goliath, but this story speaks of another dimension. It's the ultimate battle in life. Okay? The ultimate battle in life. So what happens is, boom, next one. Okay? In the ultimate battle, it's this. If you understand the picture that the author gives us of Goliath, Goliath is this picture of his invisible enemy whom no one can defeat. You with me? Everybody's afraid of Goliath. No one can defeat Goliath. Goliath was massive and strong. And that's the picture of Satan and the power of sin. And that's the picture that none of us, human, we can defeat Satan. None of us can defeat sin. Because why? We were born in sin. We were captivated by the power of sin. We are under the slavery of sin. So none of us can face Goliath. None of us are there to fight Goliath. We are under the slavery of Goliath. We are under the slavery of the Philistine. That's the story of you and me. But then the good news is this, okay? There's someone that God has anointed to set his people free. His name is David Kwok. But then, who is David Kwok? David Kwok is not just another an ordinary person. David Kwok is someone who's anointed by God to be the king of God's people. You with me? Who is the king of our people? Who's the king of God's people today? His name is Jesus. Jesus is the one who God has anointed to be the king of his people. And Jesus came to be our champion. And Jesus came and fought Goliath on our behalf. See, that's the story of David and Goliath. So now we have this ultimate battle between Jesus and Goliath, between Jesus and sin. But here's what's amazing. Jesus is not just champion. Jesus is our champion. Okay, let me explain the difference. Um, this morning, a um, couple of you asked me, Yos, why do you look different today? And one of my best friends um, came up to me um, and said, Yos, are you okay? Uh, you look different today. You look like Hyun Bin who just woke up from his sleep. Okay? And like, Hyun Bin, okay, that's a compliment. Who wake up, just, just wake up, that's not a compliment. So basically she asked me if I'm okay. And I told her, I'm not okay. I'm sad. I am mourning right now. Why? Let me tell you why. First, last night, yesterday, I went to Wagyu House. Okay, that's the first mistake. I went to Wagyu House, and because of that, um, I had a headache last night. Okay, I had a headache. I should have known, man. But anyway, I had a headache last night. But rather than going to sleep, what I did is this. I stay up all night. Why? Because I had a fight. I had a match that night. And the thing about it is I lost that match. And when I wake up this morning, I'm so, so sad because I should have won that match easily. Should have won easily, but I lost. So I'm mourning today, okay? Some of you who know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Manchester United, okay? They lost last night, okay? That's a game that we should have won easily, and, I, and we lost. That's why today I don't feel like dressing up. 
I'm mourning. I'm sad. Okay, I'm sad. I'm really sad. No, this is the thing about about me though. Like it's, I know it's ridiculous, but you know all the guys can feel what I feel. Like if your favorite team lose, you feel like you lose as well, because they fight, they play to represent you. Right? <laughs> That's the way we think. That's the way we think. So so. I don't care. Before I lost all the girls, it's like these girls, like because uh, I know all the girls can relate with this feeling. It's like watching Korean drama. Okay, and one of the trend of the Korean drama in the last couple of years is lawyer and defense attorney. Okay, I don't know why. It's, it's just like one of the trend in the last couple of years. Just what lawyer, attorney, lawyer, attorney. So what happened most of the time in Korean drama and also in real life is this: the main character get in trouble, and they hire a lawyer, a defense attorney to. Be their representation, representative, right? So what happens is this. When you hire a defense attorney, everything that they do represents you. If your defense attorney is dumb and makes silly mistake, you go to jail. But if your defense attorney is smart and brilliant, their victory is your victory. And in the same way, this is the picture that we have of Jesus, that Jesus is not just a champion. He is our champion. He is our representative. He fights as us. And, you know, and, and, and I love the, the similarity between Jesus and David. Think about it. Jesus, just like David, Jesus grew up in Bethlehem, a small city called Bethlehem. Just like David, Jesus is passionate for the glory of God. Just like David, Jesus trusted in the promise of God. Just like David, Jesus is also mocked by his own brother. Just like David, just like David, Jesus persevered to the end. But unlike David, Jesus did not only risk his life, Jesus lost his life for the sake of his people. But the good news of the gospel does not remain, it's not that Jesus is dead. Yes, Jesus died. Why? Because Jesus became us. Jesus took us and Jesus became sin and Jesus absorbed the punishment of God at the cross. He became sin. God poured out His wrath towards sin at the cross. So Jesus died. But then on the third day, what happened? Jesus rose again. And when Jesus rose again, He conquered over sin and death once and for all. Just like David killed Goliath with Goliath's sword, Jesus defeated one who has power over death by what? By His death. And just like that, Jesus won. Oh, my friend, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you good news tonight. Christ, our champion, has won. And because he won, we won. That's the goodness of the gospel. That's the ultimate battle in the story of David and Goliath. Now, how many of you are with me so far? You get it? Okay. Now, let's think about application. Okay. Now, Okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. Okay, I get it, what happened between David and Goliath. Okay, the ultimate battle is about Jesus. Jesus, the hero of the story, I get it. But what about me? That's a question. Which led me to the third point of my sermon, our battle, okay? So how does it apply to us, okay? Now, it's only when you understand this passage rightly, we can apply it rightly in our life. So does this passage teach us to have courage to face Goliath? Yes but in a very different way from we assume. Now, let me explain. So when we look at the story of David and Goliath, everybody, non-Christian, Christian, know that this story is about having the courage to face giant, correct? However, the difference is this. The way we oftentimes interpret this passage go like this. In order for you to beat Goliath, to have courage, what you need to do is trust in yourself. 
So basically what happened goes like this. So you look at the mirror. You find a mirror, and you look at yourself in the mirror, and tell the person that you look at the mirror, bro, you're awesome. You're good looking. Even though you're single, it's okay. One day you will not be single. Don't worry. You have the face. You have the body. You have the intelligence. You're awesome, okay? You're just amazing, okay? So tell that until you believe it. So look at, the, look at the mirror until you believe that you are somebody, until you're awesome. And then the second thing that you need to do, you know what the second thing that you need to do? Imagine your Goliath. So now you begin to play this scenario in your head. Imagine fighting the Goliath in your head. So imagine the awesome you against whatever Goliath that you face in life. So imagine you smack that Goliath in the face. Imagine you kick them in the butt. Imagine you throw them in. Imagine you kill them. Not just once. After you beat them once, hit the rewind button. And then play it again. Hit the mark again. And then rewind again. And then hit again. Finally, until you believe that you can overcome your Goliath. And once you believe you can overcome your Goliath, then go and conquer those cockroaches that you're afraid of. Okay? That's usually how the story goes. So we need to have courage. We need to find awesomeness within us in order to face Goliath. However, here's my story. Here's, and then there's a Christian version of this. The Christian version goes like this. If you just read the Bible more, trust God more, pray more, fast more, serve more, then you will find within you the power to beat Goliath. Okay? Let me ask you a quick question. If that is true, let me ask you a question. Who is the hero of your story? You. And let me give you a rule of thumb. If the hero of your story is you, then you are in the wrong story. Because the hero of Genesis to Revelation is Jesus. The hero of eternity is Jesus. The hero of every day of our life is Jesus. So if the thing that you do make you the hero, then you're reading it wrong. So now then next question, okay. Then how can we understand this passage rightly? Yes, there's a giant that you need to face in life. Yes, there's a giant that you need to conquer. How? Three things. First, from the story of David and Goliath, there are three lessons on how we can fight our giants in life. First one, Live for the glory of God. Now, I think it's obvious already, all throughout this narrative, you find again and again and again that what motivates David to fight Goliath is not his own sake. It's not because he's anointed to be king and now he wants to make grand entrance. Oh, I am anointed by God. I am your next king. No, no. It has nothing to do with that. The reason that David fight Goliath, why? The glory of God. Because he is passionate about the glory of God. He will not let anyone mock the God of Israel. He's just like, no way I'm going to let that slide. So what drives David is the glory of God. And you need to understand this. If what drives you for the, if the glory of God, if we live for the glory of God, then the way we face our trial will look very different. We no longer ask God to free us from our trial, but we ask God to be glorified in our trial. And that's very different. So when you pray, you don't pray like this. Oh God, I have Goliath. Please kill that Goliath for me. Oh God, please give me that. Please give me that. Give me this, give me that. Because I need that. Because that's my Goliath. Lord, please set me free. No, we don't pray like that. You know what we pray? God, be glorified in my life. If that means slaying the Goliath, then kill the Goliath for me. But if you will be glorified by you sustaining me in this struggle and pain, then let it be. 
Because I desire your glory more than my comfort. I desire your glory more than my triumph. I desire your glory more than my victory. So whatever it is that brings you glory, bring it on. That's what I want to see. So we live for the glory of God. And if we do this, this also means the second thing. That means this, you will not stand still and idle when you know that the glory of God is not known when you live. So when you go to school, when you study, and when you meet people who have come to know Jesus, you just can't shut up about Jesus. Why? Because you want people to know the glory of God. You want them to experience the beauty, the majesty, the glory that comes with knowing Jesus, that Christ is beautiful, that Christ is magnificent. You just can't shut up. You just have to tell the people about the glory of God because that's the reason that we live. We live for the glory of God. And the second thing is this. Not only we live for the glory of God, the second thing that we can see from the story is this. We trust in the promise and the power of God. In your fight with giants, in your fight with Goliath, think about it. You no longer fight for victory because Christ has defeated your ultimate giant. So now in your fight with Goliath, you no longer fight for victory, but you fight from Victory, and you believe, you understand it, the good news of the gospel is this, that if Christ has defeated our ultimate giant, which is sin and death, then he will also defeat all other giants. Now, I, I understand when I say this, sometimes you're like, but you don't know my giants. You don't know my struggle. You don't know my pain. Yes, I do not know what your pain and struggles, but what I do know is this, inside of every believer, there is the power and the promise of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. Right now, inside of every one of you, if you call yourself Christian, listen, there is the power of God, not only the power, the presence, the person, the third person of Trinity working in you. That's why I can confidently say, I can confidently say that no matter what the world has, no matter how awesome and powerful the world is, He who is in me is far greater than He who is in the world. Not because I can do it, but because I trust in the promise and the power of God. So now when I approach my giant, whatever that giant is, I no longer fight for victory. I trust that Jesus is able to defeat that giant. So now when the giant begin to trash talk me, you piece of dude, I look at my giant and say, well, let me tell you your destiny. In the cross of Jesus Christ, you have been defeated. And not only that, let me tell you, whatever it is that you have hold on me right now, Listen, in Christ, in Christ, I do not even have to fear death. Why? Because Christ has conquered over death, and death can only bring me to Him, and that's a win. So not only that, okay, I don't have to worry about the future. I don't have to worry about my kids, my family, my husband, my wife, my job. Why? Because I know my God will not fail to give what is good to His children. I do not have to worry about the disapproval of other people. I told you this, one of my idols is approval. So whenever I saw you yawn when, during my sermon, it hurts me. But because I have the smile of God, I can endure your yawning. Because I know even though you're so quiet and none of you say amen, I know when I praise God in heaven, say amen, yours, amen, God, amen. amen. So I know that God is saying amen to me. 
So, because I have the approval of God, I don't have to worry about disapproval of other people. In fact, I don't even have to worry about pain of relationship. Oh, yes, people will forsake me. People will betray me. People will hurt me. But I have the promise that there is one who will never leave me, will never forsake me. And my relationship with him will never end. My relationship with you will come to an end. But my relationship with him is eternity. So why do I have to fear? That's the promise and the power of Christ that is working in me. And that's already guaranteed at the cross of Jesus Christ. So now when I fight my giant, I'm no longer, uh, can I win? No, no, no. Christ has won. And now I can punch giants in the face and trust, Lord, here I am. I live for your glory. I trust in the power and the promise of God. And I will, I will conquer my giant. Which led me to the third thing, and this is, I think, the most crucial one. When we do that, we need to look at the Son of God. When we live for the glory of God, and when we trust in the power and the promise of God, you and I need to continually look to the Son of God. Because why? Because life is difficult. Because there's many things that we will not understand. There will be many unanswered prayer. But here's the thing about looking at the Son of God, though. In the book of Hebrew, you find this rhythm of all the Old Testament heroes being mentioned. So the book of Hebrews goes like this. I want you to remember the heroes in the Old Testament. I want you to remember Abraham. I want you to remember Moses. I want you to remember David. I want you to remember Gideon. But then after he told you to remember all those characters, he says this, but I want you to look to Jesus. So yes, I want you to remember them, but I want you to look to Jesus. Don't look to them. Remember them, but look to Jesus. And we found this rhythm in the book of Hebrew. Why? And because the book of Hebrew put it this way, in Hebrew chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance this race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is the key. If you understand that the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is all about Jesus, and now Jesus is involving you in his story, and now you are chosen by God, that you are playing part in God's story, and now the author of Hebrews says, I want you to look to Jesus. I want you to look to him, face him, Put your gaze on him. Why? Because when you look to Jesus, you found that for the joy that sat before him, he enjoyed the cross. You know what? The joy that God has in mind, that the order of Hebrew has in mind, is not the joy of having the glory of God. It is not the joy of reigning with God. No. It's not the love of the Father. No. Jesus has that from eternity. But the joy that Jesus does not have until he injured the cross is the joy of fellowship with you and me. 